Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. In October, we had Bob Witsit, the former president and general manager of the Trailblazers on the show. And remember, Damian Lillard uh, had sort of asked for the trade and then kind of was walking it back. And, um, you know, here came uh, Bob Witsit talking about the comparison between Damian Lillard in a situation he had years ago with Clyde Drexler. Yeah, I think with Clyde it was a little different. He wanted out, but uh, I had to, he never changed his mind. He wanted out. Yeah. I had to sort of work with him a little bit. He wasn't going to come to training camp, and then he wasn't going to go to Japan with us. He, he was trying to put the leverage on us to, to get a deal done instantly. And I, I convinced him at some point in time that, Clyde, the best thing you can do is play, be Clyde Drexler, let the league see you're still Clyde Drexler, and then to give me more opportunity to find a home for you. And he did that, and he played very well. And eventually he got he got his ring in Houston. So once a player tells you they want out, if they then kind of do a flip-flop on you, I'd be a little bit leery because, you know, you got to be all in. And if you said you want out all summer and then you do a quick I want out, odds are you're probably going to later on say you want out against Witsit wrote a book called Game Changer. Here to talk about that and a bunch of other things. Longtime NBA writer, media personality in the market, radio show host, Kenny Vance. You can find his work at ClarkCountyToday.com as well. Kenny Vance joining us. Kenny, what would you think of Witsit's book, Game Changer? Yeah, you know, I thought it was a great first effort. You know, like he said, he didn't throw anybody under the bus. He didn't tell any of the you know, the, the the stories that would get anybody in trouble. But he definitely offered a peek behind the curtain at his years uh, with the Sonics and the Blazers and the Seahawks and, and a little bit about the other things he's doing in his life and has done in his life. Uh, I And, you know, I've talked to a lot of other people that have no, you know, skin in the game and, and don't know Bob. And, uh, you know, I've got some unbiased uh, feedback that uh, they enjoyed the book very much. So, uh, you know, I, I think it was a good read. Yeah, I think, you know, he came on the show, I think right around the time it was coming out or maybe right before it came out. And, of course, the Blazers were in in the middle of all that Damian Lillard stuff and trying to figure out where he was going to go. He ends up in Milwaukee. What, what were your thoughts at the time with Dame and how that all went down? Yeah, you know, it, it's very interesting because I love Dame and, and he's, He's by far my favorite Blazer of all time, and I think he's the greatest Blazer of all time. I've got nothing but but praise to heap on Damian Lillard. But obviously, you know, very seldom does a player spend his entire career uh, with one team. And it just became time for Dave, Dame to move on, you know, that contract for a team that it wasn't competing for a championship in a couple years was going to be an albatross. And there was a lot of reasons to, for, on both sides. Uh, Dame requested the trade, but there were reasons on both sides uh, to get it done. And to be honest with you, I know the early returns are not what uh, the Blazers or Blazer fans would want. But to be honest with you, I thought Joe Cronin got quite a haul in the two deals for Dame. And like I said, now obviously 
it hasn't turned out to be uh, immediate success for the team in terms of wins and losses. But when you look at the assets that he acquired, it surprised me between the two deals. Kenny Vance with us. You may remember Kenny from his time at the Columbian in Vancouver and other places. Uh, Kenny, the uh, the when Chauncey Billups gets introduced tonight at Moda Center for the game against Minnesota, he'll get booed. It, my theory is fans are just booing because they're booing ownership. They're booing the fact that you know the franchise has fallen off so much. Um, wh- you know, what do you what do you think the Billups coaching tenure? What's the story of his tenure? I guess. Well, unfortunately, I don't think we know yet, do we? I mean, from an X's and O's standpoint, you, you know, I don't think he's really been tested. They tanked the last two years. They, you know, they weren't healthy. They weren't trying to win at the end of the last two seasons. And um, and so I, I don't know that we really know whether or not Chauncey can coach. The one thing I believe when I watch Chauncey and I watch him interact with the players, I think he's got great relationship with the players. I think he holds them accountable, but he does it in a, in a, in a kind of a mature, grown-up way and he empowers them and uplifts them, and, and I like that standpoint. I think he's good with younger players, but I think the jury is still out, and I know that's kind of a remarkable to say now that he's in his third season with the team, but I do think the jury is still out. One thing I'll add to that is I was really happy that the Blazers didn't dump anybody before the trade deadline, and, and specifically Malcolm Brogdon. I think Malcolm Brogdon is the adult in the room, the adult on the team, and I think they need that. I think he's a perfect complement to uh, Simons and Sharp and even Scoot, and and I was so happy that they didn't trade Brogdon. But one of the things that Joe said in his media availability was, we don't need to to take any more steps backwards. We need to take steps forward. And I couldn't agree with him more, and I was happy to hear him say that, I know they've got injuries. You know, I know, you know, Williams is out for the year. I'd be surprised if we see Shaden Sharp again this season, although we could. But so I know they have injuries, but I, I, I do. I strongly believe this team should not tank this year. They should try to be as competitive as they can. And as Joe said, continue to take steps forward or begins taking steps forward. They can't afford to take any more steps backwards. You've seen rebuilds, and you we've obviously seen over the years some teams that will get stuck in sort of that purgatory of the lottery, you know, just taking risk after risk. How do the Blazers avoid being a team that, you know, is in this position five years from now, seven years from now? I'd sure be disappointed if they were. I think they got a good young nucleus. Like I said, uh, I, I like the return that Joe got in the two trades uh, involving uh, Damon's departure. But uh, when you look at this roster, I think there's some things to be optimistic. You know, I, I exchanged uh, some comments with Joe recently, and, and I told him, I, I honestly believe, and I know I'm in the minority on this, I honestly believe this team is closer uh, to being competitive than it shows. I know the, the record is ugly, uh, and, you know, 15 and 38 is ugly. There's just no doubt about it. They've underachieved. Even, you know, with all the injuries, they've still underachieved, when, you know, when, when, they, when they've played um, with, with the hand that they've been dealt. So, yes, I totally acknowledge that right now it doesn't look good. It hasn't looked good in the first 53 games of this year. But I still maintain 
that uh, this team is closer to being competitive than not. Um, obviously, they've got two um, good draft picks in this upcoming draft. The problem is, though, it's going to be a horrible draft, and I don't know how much help they're going to get there. So it's going to be another interesting offseason. It's going to be interesting to see what Joe does with the assets that he has because I don't think they're going to get much better in the draft. Yeah, in, in Bob Witsit's heyday, you know, he brought players to Portland in trades, right? And, you know, obviously there was the signing of Brian Grant. That was a big free agent signing. You know, you look back, it may be the biggest, uh, you know, in the last uh, 30 years in Portland. And it's been tough to get free agents to come. Do you think Joe Cronin is the guy? Is he capable of making those kinds of moves when push comes to shove? Well, I I want him to be the guy. I've known Joe's I've known Joe since he came to Portland, so I'm a little bit biased in this. Uh, I, I you know I consider him a friend. I think he's a quality human being. And when you look at what he's done as a relatively unknown, unproven general manager, I mean he's facilitated facilitated the trades of C.J. McCollum and Dame Lillard, and and he has taken on some pretty big tasks. You know, and uh, and so he's navigated some choppy waters, and now we got to see some, you know, some meat on the bone. We got to see some results for it, and uh, the the jury's still out on both Joe and Chauncey. I I I kind of believe they're probably joined at the hip. Uh, their their um, their legacy or their future is, is probably um, you know coupled in in that regard. And, you know, it, when you look at the fact that the same people that will ultimately make their make the decision on Joe and Chauncey are the same people who just fired Pete Carroll, then I think that's <laughs> enough reason to believe that, you know, it's time for this team to get better and start showing some progress. So to answer your question, John, I hope Joe's the guy. I, I believe he's the guy. But, yeah, he we need to see we need to see this promise that they put together start to materialize i'm curious what you think of sort of the ownership cloud and jody allen is the trustee and burt involved and you know you bring up seattle i have people ask me all the time how can the uh, ownership group seem so interested and engaged in seattle and absentee in portland what would you say to that i agree i basically agree i mean i i I don't care, you know, like there was such, there was a lot made when Paul bought the team that Paul lived in Seattle. He wasn't, he didn't live in Portland. And, and there was even complaints that Bob never fully lived in Portland, although he did have a residence down here. But uh, I, I don't care about any of that. But I, I you know, because Paul was as engaged as an owner as, as anyone, well, not as anyone, but he was engaged as an owner. But now this situation, what I'm told is that basically, Jody and Burke Cold are not incentivized to sell the team. They're incentivized to to hold on to the team as long as possible. I'm talking about in financial terms. Mm-hmm. That yeah. that when their tenure is over, when this team is sold, there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for them. So uh, they're incentivized to kind of drag this process out as long as they can. And there's no question. You know, I would like to see the team sold sooner than later, no question about it. Uh, I love the idea of Phil Knight's group being the being the, the new owners. I worry, you know, because Phil is getting up there in years himself, so I worry what type, you know, what type of a, a landscape 
that they would put in place for that. But obviously, I think everybody here in Oregon would love to see the sale go through and love to see it go to someone like Phil Nine. Yeah, because I keep thinking there are so many, there's there's so much accountability that comes when you have an owner that's truly engaged. It just it just makes everybody a little sharper when you know people at the top are engaged and they're interested and you see them at games and that really has been lost. And I think even when Paul was around. You know, there was a feeling like, does he know what he's doing? Well, at least, you know, he cares. He loves the team. Look at him cheering. I don't know that we have that right now, Kenny, and I kind of wonder how that manifests itself. Uh, What's the right, you know, you mentioned Phil Knight, but, you know, what's the right combination when it comes to coach, general manager, ownership? What, What should the Blazers ideally strive to look like in that trio? Well, I would never want someone like Jerry Jones. I I would never want that type of an owner. I would want an owner that let his basketball people do their jobs. And the way it was described to me when Paul owned the team, the way it was described to me, and and, and I think I can say it was by Bob, um, was that Paul, when Bob went to Paul with a suggestion that, hey, I want to do this or I want to do that, it would probably take Bob, 45 minutes to convince Paul that, yes, indeed, he got he got the vote of approval to go ahead and do what he wanted to do. But it would take, I mean, Bob just couldn't walk up there and say, hey, Paul, I want to trade Clyde Drexler. You know, I mean, uh, in, uh, that may be a bad example, but whatever Bob wanted to do, you know, when you get it to the five-yard line, you got to go to the owner and say, okay, can I cross the goal line with this? And the way it was described to me is that Paul would make you convince him. He was engaged to that point where he wanted it explained at length of why you were doing this, what the benefits were, everything like that. So, And then 95% of the time, he would let Bob do the deal or, or you know, do whatever that he was asking to do. But, you know, so I, I think that was probably a good way to hold – his basketball people accountable, but let them do their job. So uh, I, I think that's a pretty good model, if you ask me. Kenny Vance with us, ClarkCountyToday.com, if you want to read him. Kenny, uh, love get your thoughts on this. Um, you know, I, I think you were around when the Blazers were in their heyday, you know, with uh, Bob Witsit's run, and that energy needs to get back in that building, you know, in one way or another. And I, it makes me sad when I see empty seats and apathy when it comes to the Blazers. Absolutely. There's nothing worse than apathy. And say whatever you want about the, the, the wits at years and whatnot. You know, he, he, he was the general manager or president for nine years. They went to the playoffs every year. They won about 48 games. Uh, they averaged about 48 wins a year. Those, those were good times. And, and yes, I, I'd like to see the Blazers get back to that. Kenny Vance, thank you, man. We'll get you back on. Talk some more NBA. Thanks so much, John. I appreciate you having me on. You bet. There he goes. He was around a long time. He's now the editor at Clark County Today, but he was at the Columbian. He was right here on 750 The Game hosting a show along with Brian Wheeler, uh, award-winning writer, uh, Society of Professional Journalists, uh, honored him numerous times. Kenny Vance, there he goes. Some parting thoughts coming up. Leave it here. By Gabby Marshall, here comes Clark. How will she go for history? women's college basketball. Caitlin Clark got it done. 
She needed eight points as she entered tonight's game, uh, Iowa basketball game. Uh, she needed eight points to catch Washington's Kelsey Plum for the most points ever scored in uh, an NCAA career. She came into the game against Michigan at 3,520 points. And, Stephen, she scored the first eight points of the game. She got them all, including the three that you just heard, a deep three from uh, the you know the left side as she crossed half court, Caitlin Clark making history. Were you surprised she got all eight like right away? Like, I mean, come on. No, I, I listened to her interview when I when I pulled the uh, the clip of her saying, hey, "We don't want to call timeout. We can't waste timeouts." And she was very confident, and she was very like, yeah, "This is cool. This is a record." But I'm, it's not even bothering me. There's no pressure on me, so it doesn't actually surprise me that that's how good she is. And she's like, well, "I'm just gonna get out of the way." Eight points real quick. Let's just uh, worry about this game. But that was awesome, man. That, you know, congratulations to her because she uh, she is one of a kind, and the way she shoots that three ball, man, is awesome. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know. Let's get her into the NBA three point competition. I'm sure she'll play there one day. I think she's great for the game. She's obviously great for women's college basketball. Everybody's going to be talking about this tonight. She got the ball off the opening tip. She drove in for a layup. She hit a three from the left side. That's her preferred side to shoot from. She hit another three from the same side. It was a deep three. It took her two minutes and twelve seconds to become the record holder. Um, took her two minutes and 12 seconds into the game. Uh, crazy. Um, you know, scoring the first eight points of the game to get to that point. Um, women's college basketball, fleeting popularity or here to stay with performances like, you know, we saw Angel Reese in LSU a year ago, Caitlin Clark, certainly Sabrina from years ago at Oregon. Fleeting situational popularity or will people are people in on women's college basketball and do not be afraid to say the politically correct thing right here um i think it i don't know that it's here to stay i think there needs to be another player doesn't have to be exactly like Caitlin clark but someone that captures the nation and i and i think last tournament when she was doing the you can't see me and that caught attention and then you know angel reese came out and you know the way that that game ended with her doing the you can't see me like I think something like that has to happen and it kind of touches on what we talked about earlier and I always said there's got to be some type of rivalry and it feels like you know there is a little bit of a rivalry between Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese whatever it is and uh I feel like there's got to be more of that if there's gonna if college if women's college basketball is gonna stay because I just think it's kind of like it's a niche sport just like men's college basketball like People don't care about men's college basketball unless there's a Zion Williamson that's dominating college basketball or a Trey Young who's putting up crazy stats. Then we'll tune in. I feel like women's college basketball falls in the same thing where they need a star to step up, and maybe they got it coming up later. I don't know. Maybe it is uh, Juju Watkins over at USC who's putting up great numbers as a freshman. But uh, I think someone else has to follow in Caitlin Clark's steps and be that person that really embraces it and really can capture the nation. There's some concern that the – ecosystem of college athletics is so centric on college football that it's going to ruin college basketball meaning if the same people who are all about expanding the college football playoff getting the sec and the big 10 in position to dominate football if they get their grubby hands on that ncaa tournament steven they're going to ruin it they're talking about expanding it to 80 teams all this stuff has been floated it's the same people talking about expanding it to 80 teams that have also talked about uh, you know, the playoff being more of a Big Ten SEC thing. They know where the money's buried. 
How do we protect the NCAA tournament while recognizing that changes need to happen in college football? I think it's one of the big questions facing leadership in college athletics. But I, they, you know, I, I just think they're going to give television what television wants. And if I'm television, I protect the NCAA tournament. I protect the sanctity of 68 teams now, not 64. I think if you go to 80, you're going to get some really bad, weird matchups. You're going to lose the charm of that opening weekend. There's nothing better on that Thursday and Friday than settling in and having the games on wall-to-wall. We'll have them all right here on this station. It's why we carry them. It's like the greatest two days of you know, the college basketball uh, you know, nirvana. How do we protect the tournament, Stephen? I, I, it kind of goes to what Chip Kelly said before and have college football be its own thing, be in its own entity because the way that it's going and the way that we focus on college football is great because college football needs to be fixed in certain ways. But it also hurts the college basketball game because when you look at Oregon going to the Big Ten, do they really want to travel that, that week and go to Illinois and then to Michigan State and then have to travel back? Because you can't just play one game a week. You're going to have to play numerous games. And usually, like the Pac-12 plays a Thursday-Saturday schedule – I mean, Oregon's going to be out and playing on Tuesday and then Thursday or th- Tuesday and then Saturday and then coming back to Oregon and you're traveling cross-country. It's not going to work for other sports, especially for basketball. When it works for football, when it's one week, you can travel across the nation, do it one time. Is it ideal? No, but you can do it. And so because of that, I think football does need to go off and do its own thing because we're so because that's the moneymaker, right? Football overall gets all the money. The NCAA tournament's the one thing that can compete against it, but we are so money-driven with the football with the football game. If they add teams to the NCAA tournament, I do think it will hurt it because it's at that perfect number right now where the bracket's not too big and people can still understand some of these teams. Like, you know, there's still the good teams involved, and then you get some of those mid-major upsets, which is what we love. It's what we love, and we love that part of the NCAA tournament. Do you do you fear that add it going to 80, going to you know, there's 68 now with the play-in games. I like 64. I never liked 68. I, I mean, I get it. UCLA was a play-in team. They advanced to the national championship game, you know. They went they went wire to wire, and it's a good story. But I just and and it'll be offered up by people who want to expand the tournament as evidence that there are some teams outside of sixty four that should have a chance. And this became a story like a couple of years ago. Mississippi baseball, you know, was the last team in the baseball bracket and won it. And Oregon State was in that position years ago and won it. And so. The proponents to expand the tournament are saying, hey, we might be leaving the national champion out. Like, talk me out of that position. You could say that for anything. Anything could happen, right? And I think even in the NCAA tournament, you you know, you know, say you don't like the first four. There's been first four teams that get all the way to the final four. So I know. It's just like, I understand it, but at some point there has to be a cutoff. We have to, we have to let teams and players earn it on the field by wins. We can't just give a participation trophy to everybody. A lot, we all complain about participation trophies for kids, for you know, for youth sports. That's what this is going to be. If they're going to turn it in to you know an 80, 100, 140 team tournament, we're just going to make everyone a participation trophy and say, hey, the regular season doesn't matter. You're going to get in the postseason anyways. You got to have some type of cutoff. And I love the fact that it's only 64 teams or 68 teams, and then the small conferences get one team in the tournament. That they they deserve it. You know what? If you win 25 games in the season, you go through your conference tournament, which is always going to be tough. You deserve a chance to, quote-unquote, have a chance at the championship. Not everybody deserves that chance. So as long as we get more teams in, we're going to be giving out participation trophies. And I just, I hate that part. So we got to just stop doing that. we got to just leave it at what it is. And that's why that's actually one of my fears with the college football playoff expanded to 12. Like, 12 teams, yeah, there's a lot of good teams. 
But is the 12 seed really ever going to win an NCAA championship in college football? I don't really think so. I don't think so, but I also think you got to pay attention to it. We got to we got to make sure that you know television is ultimately going to make the call on all of this. Like I think if we've learned anything, we you know we can sit here and talk on talk radio. Fans can you know write letters or protest or say I'm not going to buy tickets. But if television wants an expansion of the NCAA tournament, it's going to happen. Like. It, it, that will happen, and they'll go. Okay, we sixty-eight is great. What happens if we go to eighty? What happen? You know, and pretty soon you're right. Like we're talking about two or three weeks of basketball that nobody cares about, and it's too much. And it's too, you know, and I really hope that whatever happens with leadership in the NCAA and college basketball and college football, whatever that comes down to, we all kind of know that football is going to do its own thing. But whatever that comes down to, I hope that they protect the sanctity of an event like the NCAA tournament. It has to stay where it is, has to keep the charm, has to have those opening, those small colleges on the opening weekend that are double-digit seeds, mixing it up against the Blue Bloods. That is the beauty of the NCAA tournament. It's what makes it so special. It, that's why everybody is filling out a bracket. That's why people are getting up at 10 o'clock in the morning on that Thursday morning of the first-round opening and they're going, what chaos is going to ensue? And, you know, people are watching on TV and listening on the radio. And that's, you know, we go wall to wall with those games right here on, on this station. So I hope that they leave it alone and they protect it. Well, I'll ask Greg Sankey about it tomorrow. We'll have him on the show. You'll hear from the SEC commissioner. Grab a podcast of this radio show. Uh, have a great evening, everybody. The bald-faced truth not here for a long time. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.